Can we change the way we produce food to both meet the needs of humans whilst regenerating our soils and ecosystems? And can we do so in a way that improves the financial viability of farms? These questions are becoming increasingly urgent to answer, and we're here to investigate a promising technique called agroforestry in order to find out how it can help us with these challenges. We'll be interviewing farmers, scientists, and other experts to share with you their experiences, practical advice, and scientific research. Hello, and welcome to the Regenerative Agroforestry Podcast. I'm your host, Dimitri, and today we are super happy to be able to bring Christian Duprat on the show. We just spent an hour walking around the Restanclier site, which is a 30-year-old agroforestry experiment on 40 hectares, one of which has been the source of multiple papers and, and basically one of the, of, the, of the founding areas of agroforestry. So we've just been walking around with Christian Duprat, asking him questions and understanding a bit more about alley cropping. So this is a very special episode for us and also one where we're with our guest in person underneath the walnut trees that we are going to be discussing in our interviews. So I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Bon, Christian, bienvenue sur le podcast. <laughs> Bonjour. Uh, we, we should actually be speaking in English. Yeah, okay. Um, but that's, uh, that's fine. Um, we've just been walking around the agroforestry areas together. Uh, speaking in French and uh, this is one of the rare interviews where we're actually with our guest on site. So we are at Restinclière at the moment in Montpellier with Christian. <laughs> so Christian, again, I'll welcome you again in English. Welcome on the podcast. Really nice to have you here. Really nice to be able to share your story. And um, underneath these 27-year-old walnut trees that you've planted yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a long story. Uh, now almost 30 years that that we work here, and uh, when we started, I never thought I would be there for such a long time. But it's nice to see it from the seedlings up to these mature trees that we have on our heads now. So that's that. That was quite a story. Yes, yes. When we started and we planted this experiment, because it's an experiment, it's not a commercial farm, a usual commercial farm, it's an experiment. Um, it, there was no alley cropping in Europe, in almost no place with alley cropping. And uh, foresters were really against planting trees in field crops, because they said that the trees would be killed by the herbicides and uh, the machinery of the of the farmers and so on and the farmers were really against planting trees in their fields because they said well the crops will not produce because of the competition by the tree of the shade and everything and we will not be able to crop as usual so everybody was quite pessimistic but uh, three decades later we see that the trees are beautiful and the crops are still producing so that's that's a victory <laughs> that's amazing and uh, we'll, we'll share uh, I'm going to take lots of pictures uh, today and and share them to everybody um, there's lots of different systems set up here but maybe we could start by you telling us a bit how you got into agroforestry in the first place mm -hmm. okay um, when I when I started to work with INRA the French Institute for Agronomical Research uh, I was focusing on silvopastoral systems uh, I was uh, mostly working with fodder trees, trees to feed the animals with the leaves or with the fruits. And also I was working on um, ways to plant trees uh, without danger from the animals. So ways to protect the trees against animal browsing and grazing. And I designed at that time a tree shelter uh, that was later uh, commercialized by uh, uh, Tubex, the Tubex company. We had a patent. Uh, we designed a tube shelter that allows you to plant a tree, protect it and keep the animal grazing around. Because formerly, uh, when you plant a tree, when you fo foresters plant trees, they exclude animals. They exclude animals for years, for decades. And when you exclude animals, you create conflict conflict between foresters and farmers conflict in France we even have what we call um, the la guerre des demoiselles 
the, the war of the misses. I don't know how to translate that, but it was a war between uh, breeders, between sheep breeders and foresters, and they were fighting for, uh, for accessing the land to, to make the animal uh, grazing. And that, that, that was because foresters, as soon as they plant a tree, they put the animals out. And that was really a big, big concern. So I designed these tree shelters. Um, they were really um, tailored to best protect the trees and increase their growth because there was a chim chimney effect. Uh, they, they had holes at the bottom and the air was flowing inside the shelter and bringing CO2 to help the photosynthesis of the tree. So these shelters were quite useful and we sold about, I don't know, hundreds of millions of them since then. And they, they, have, they are a very useful tool to establish silvopastoral systems. And then uh, I switched to silvo arable systems, systems with uh, trees and crops, because uh, we made a survey of traditional agroforestry systems in France in the 90s, in the early 90s, and we, we discovered that there were a lot of traditional systems with trees and crops, uh, such as poplar and maize or walnut trees and different cereal crops, or a lot of kind, a lot of different systems in France, but almost all disappeared with mechanization, with the common agricultural policy of the European common agricultural policy that was really against having trees in, in your plots. So uh, after having surveyed those systems, we decided to try to, to build uh, modern systems, modern alley cropping systems that are compatible with machinery, with modern ways of growing the crops and so on. And that was the start. Uh, in 1994, the, the local council, the Conseil Départemental de l'Hérault, which is the, the local uh, government, uh, purchased this farm because this farm is a very special place. It's a place where we have the, the water, the, the source, the, the, the spring that brings all the water for Montpellier uh, is located. It's just the river just behind us here. And so this place is of very high importance for the region and for the, for the people in Montpellier. So the, 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 the council purchased the farm and they were looking for a different way to manage the, the, the agricultural part of the farm, which is about 50 hectares. They made a call with the, 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 the scientists in Montpellier, the agronomists in Montpellier. So I suggested to, to turn that into an agroforestry experiment and they were convinced and they gave me the green light. And in 1995, in January and February 1995, we planted 10,000 trees of 40 different species in the plots of the farm. That okay. was the start. Fantastic, amazing. And this uh, represents about 40 hectares 40 hectare scale, right? So yeah, we're talking about a large-scale experiment. Yeah, it's, it's not very big, but it's enough, large enough to make a lot of experiments. And one very key decision that we made at that time is to, to have each time we plant an agroforestry plot, to have a control plot without trees and to have <coughs> another control plot with only trees, a forestry control. So that way we can compare really how the, the crop and the trees behave when they are mixed together in agroforestry and when they are separated in agriculture and forestry. And that's very important point because uh, a lot of experiments elsewhere in Europe uh, did not uh, um, include those controls. And ten years later or twenty years later, you you are very. It's very inconclusive. It's very difficult to say. For example, if the trees don't grow in your agroforestry plot, you say, "Oh, it's agroforestry is not worth." But maybe the trees will not grow in the forestry plot either. 
the reason is something different. It's not agroforestry. It's maybe it's the, you have the wrong tree species in the in the wrong place. Uh, so so it's very important to have those controls. Previously, I had another experiment, a large-scale experiment across the region with about eight different sites. It was silvopastoral agroforestry. We had plantation in 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 in, uh, in grasses, in lands, in and we had those controls and in three or four of those places the trees did not grow but they did not grow in the forestry and in agroforestry so that was not an agroforestry problem that was an ecology problem of the wrong tree species so that's very important to have those controls and uh, we are very happy to have them today well, the, the importance of setting up uh, experiments well from the start, especially with tree crops, right? That is, I mean, yeah. you, as you were telling me when we were walking here, this is quite a unique space because you are, we have 30-year-old walnut trees that are, I mean, well, again, I'll show the pictures, but n the canopies are nearly touching themselves, like uh, touching each other between the lines. They're having a significant influence on the area. So now the experimentation that you're doing now mm -hmm. is, is really able to see what is the impact of trees on crops and vice versa, right? Exactly. Uh, well, we decided at the time to plant the trees on three rows uh, 13 meters apart. 13 meters is quite close. Uh, but when you plant very small trees, you, you want the trees to have an impact, so you put the trees closer. And uh, today the trees are more than 12, 13, 14 meters tall, which means that their height is, is bigger than the, 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 the width of the alley. So um, they have, we have what we call an H to D ratio height of the tree to, to uh, distance between the tree rows that's above one and when it's above one all our models simulation models and crop models show that the crop yield will decrease a lot mm. so <clears throat> what why, why did we choose to have those tree lines so close together <clears throat> to have an impact earlier because we wanted to have that impact to study it of course and also because the farmer that is working here had a three meter wide cedar so he could do four times the cedar 12 meters of crops so 12 meters of the crops one meter of tree row and so on so that was quite good and the harvester was also six meters so you can do two times the harvester so that was quite a good compromise um, if we had to do that experiment again today, I would say that uh, I would not plant the trees so close. I would do that every two rows, every 26 meters. But it was really interesting for an experiment to do that. So it, it allowed us to have impact of trees earlier. Um, so that's, that was not a, a bad decision. Uh, but Today, if I would recommend the farmer to do alley cropping, I would not recommend to do those closed tree rows, yes. but to, to have something uh, larger. And I guess it also really depends on what's being planted underneath. So maybe you could tell us, well, just to clarify things a bit, we've got walnut trees here as, as one of the main system, yeah. main trees at the moment. You also said you had poplars, which you've harvested. Yes. So the walnuts are, are pruned to have a, a clear trunk for about four to six meters to right. be able to sell for high quality timber. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that, that, that's right. Uh, well, uh, I, we should say that those trees grew very fast. And what is interesting is that they grew faster in agroforestry than in forestry. Mm. Today we have uh, about 30 to 40 percent bigger trees in agroforestry than in forestry. Wow, okay. So that, that, that makes a, a difference and uh, they grew very fast and we should say that we have winter crops here. Yes, okay. We have a rotation of winter crops, mainly with um, um, durum wheat, uh, wheat for pasta. Uh, we have uh, barley, we have pea, we had um, uh, canola. So that's, that's a typical Mediterranean winter crop uh, system. And what is quite interesting with walnut trees is that walnut trees are a very late leafing tree. 
uh, the tree buds the, the tree buds open at the end of April here yeah. and the cereal is flowering before the tree put the leaves so we have a very low competition for, for light between walnut trees and winter crops and the consequence of that is that uh, you have um, uh, a competition for water in spring that is in favor of the crop uh, I mean, the, the, the winter crops, they do grow in February, March, April, very fast. And when the tree is starting to leaf out in April and May, in May, uh, the crop has already extracted most of the water in the first meter of soil. So the tree is, is, is obliged to go down to put the roots deeper to get water for the summer. So from the start, those trees have been forced to have deep roots. And when they have deep roots, they are really at ease during the summer. So the difference between the, the, the walnut trees in agroforestry and the walnut trees in forestry is that the walnut trees in agroforestry have very deep roots and the walnut trees in forestry have superficial roots. So that, that they, they really look similar from outside, but below the ground they are very different. That's super interesting. And um, I was curious as to whether you were also using root pruning strategies to kind of emphasize that root stratification. Yeah, we do, so, we do some root pruning sometimes. Uh, we have done that mostly with the vineyard agroforestry where we have uh, um, different tree species. We have pine trees, we have so evergreen trees we, who are growing in winter. So that makes a big difference. Uh, so we have been some uh, root pruning experiments that were not very conclusive with the walnut tree because it has very deep roots but much more efficient with the pine trees for example yeah and this year we will do a new experiment with root pruning uh, because uh, we are working on climate uh, mitigation uh, climate adaptation um, with the crops and we need to protect the crops from water competition so we will do root pruning for that experiment that's fascinating really interesting and one of the main things i wanted to, to to, to ask you was the impact of the agroforestry on the quality of the wood and that's ah. something that uh, that you know can come about a lot especially from foresters as a question mm -hmm. and so based on maybe you know the different crops as well that you've seen I mean we're super interested in poplar as well with agroforestry and so you know what what kind of impact did you see there on this you know you mentioned a faster growth rate so what, what does that mm -hmm. imply also a lesser dense wood well um we don't know really at the moment. No, the, the big, there is not that much difference, much difference in the wood quality so far. Uh, but we still need to wait because uh, when you sell high quality timber like, like these walnut trees, are, those walnut trees are hybrid walnut trees between the European and the American one. Okay. So they are not for the fruit, they are for the timber. Yeah. And when you sell this kind of tree, you need to have a lot of uh, hardwood. And at the moment, we still have a lot of softwood, uh, so we need to wait for that. But uh, so far, uh, the, the studies are telling us that the wood quality timber, the quality of the timber is quite similar in agroforestry and forestry. But the tree growth is faster in agroforestry. And this is quite interesting because when you do high quality timber, you prune the tree. So you have ones, ones of, of pruning and they, they, what's very important is that the ones uh, um, disappear as soon as possible and, what, and trees growing fast, uh, are, they are really healing very fast from those pruning and that's very interesting. So you see the trunks behind us, there is not a single wand of pruning on them. They are really high quality timber around the core and there is a knotty core in the middle in the center but around that it's what we call clear wood uh, with no scars and that's very important when you do slicing uh, for the for the wood to use the wood later that's very interesting and what about the impact on this much wider spacing so we're about at 13 by 
How much on the line? Uh, it was four meters on the line at the beginning, so 200 trees per hectare. Okay. Now it, we, we, we thinned the stand, we cut half of the trees 10 years ago, so at the moment we have 100 trees per hectare. It's a spacing of 13 by 8 meters. Okay, and so including this thinning, what, what's the impact of this agroforestry pattern and management with the thinning there? Um, on the on being able to produce a straight trunk what are some of the things that we need to watch out for or, or is it harder to create a straight trunk than in a forestry context what has been your experience on this site well when it comes to for walnut trees it's about the same in forestry and agroforestry you have to prune the trees uh, forestry trees are uh, easier to manage when they are planted at high density uh, above 1,000 trees per hectare, so you have self-pruning. Uh, but for those high-quality timber trees, you never plant uh, 1,000 or 2,000 trees per hectare. So for, for walnut trees, there is not a big, dif big, big difference between agroforestry and forestry to, to manage the trees. Uh, that's, that's the point. Uh, I would say that... Uh, it's easier to prune in agroforestry because you have a very easy access to the trees. We use, usually use an elevator to prune the trees with a chainsaw. So it's very fast in agroforestry because you can drive in the plot more easily than in a forestry plot. So in the forestry plots, it's very uncommon that you prune up to six um, meters. Here it's quite easy to do. Yeah. It's and the trees are quite straight. We have a lot of wind, but they are—they look nice. They are not too, yeah. They are—they are straight. Yeah, this is definitely something I, I had noticed uh, on the other on the other plots. And you know, you mentioned that you were planting durum wheat in between the the tree rows. So, does what does what's the impact of this shading? especially at this 13 meters row spacing, on the quality of the wheat, on the yield uh -huh. of the wheat? Does it vary a lot from year to year? Does, does it vary between varieties? What, what, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting that you, ha you guys have put everything in between the tree rows in these last 27 years. No, so not everything because it's, uh, it's, uh, the, the crop is managed by the farmer. It's a, and he's a commercial farmer. He makes a living from the crops. So uh, what we do is that he's uh, allowed it to grow what he wants. So for many years he used the same wheat variety. <laughs> so we didn't change much the varieties. But uh, what was quite funny is that during the first 20 years of the experiment until maybe 2010, uh, we had a lot of uh, trainees here that measured with us the crop yield, uh, trying to show if the tree would compete, reduce the crop the yield and so on. And for almost 20 years we never demonstrated any decrease in the yield. So uh, that, that was quite funny because we are all expecting this, that competition. In fact, we sometimes measure the decrease in the crop yield, but there was something strange about that. The, th the, the, the strange thing is that when we had missing trees on the tree row, sometimes you have missing trees because they, they died at an early stage, well, the, dec the decrease in the crop was the same. So that was not the fault of the trees. That was something different. And the explanation was more subtle than that. It was because uh, when you do alley cropping, you have to manage a, 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 sh a, um, uh, a small area of land between the tree rows. And it's quite difficult to prepare the ground, prepare the soil in a very homogeneous way. You, if you do some... Um, Comment uh, dit le labour? There's tilling or there yeah, is the tilling, the, the uh, no harrowing. Yeah. Uh, if you do that on one side of the alley, you have a furrow, and on the other side, you have an, a, a, a mount, you know, yes. something. Where, and it's quite difficult to put that really plain so that the seeding is of the same quality everywhere, the seeds are the same depth, and so on. 
So that problem of crop decrease close to the tree line some years was mostly due to a poor seedling seeding of the of the seeds of the crop because of that difficulty to have a plain ground at seeding. But uh, you, you know now that the trees are 27 to 30 years old um, and that the canopies are so developed, are, are you still not noticing? Um, um, a competition there in terms no. of a light or is, no. has it started? Now, now we have big trees very close together almost a closed canopy and there is a, a decrease in the crop uh, yield for the for the winter crops we have about a 30 percent decrease and for the summer crops we tried some summer crops we have more than 50 60 percent decrease so at the moment it's not a good idea to grow summer crops in such uh, a forest because now it's almost a forest it's too dense what we should do if it was not if, if it was not an experiment but a farm a commercial farm we should um, um, cut one tree row every two tree rows and that would allow to have good crops again in the system we would have more light and that would be the right place but here it's an experiment and what we do if we put we study the extreme that we could do and doing that we see what are the limit of the system what we should not do and and so and so so it's not a, a problem for us but when we have visitors here, I must tell them, okay, what you see is not exactly what we recommend. It's mm -hmm. an experiment. We have a lot of trees, of big trees, uh, just to, to know how far we should not go. But it's, uh, that's it. But now we have uh, simulation models, and I can tell you if we had half the density of trees, we would have that crop yield and so on. So that's, that's interesting. Fascinating stuff. And <laughs> you would attribute this loss in yield to mostly to light or to also because, you know, when, you know, we're also talking a lot about underground competition with water and nutrients. Mm -hmm. What has been your, your feedback uh, in these types of system? OK, uh, here we have deep soils. Uh, on those deep soils, it's light competition that is really a limiting factor at the moment. Uh, we have um, we have also uh, water competition and nitrogen competition because the trees do like nitrogen. Uh, walnut trees are really junkies for ni for nitrogen, so they they just uh, take the nitrogen. So, but usually you you put fertilizer on the crops. So, but uh, yeah, uh, I would say that uh, light competition is now dominating the system. And it can be managed by pruning the trees, pruning the canopies, trimming the canopies. And we have tried something different, which is pollarding the trees. When you do a pollard, you take all the branches off. We do, did that at four meters elevation above the, above the ground. And then the tree is regrowing a new canopy. And uh, during those two, three years after pollarding, you have a lot of light for the crops. For you have, And what we are studying is if that pollarding uh, will really decrease the growth of the trunk, because the trunk is the most valuable, valuable part of the tree in that experiment. And so we have been doing that pollarding every four years, already four times, three or four times. And uh, the result is quite impressive. The trees recover very fast and the, tree, the trunk growth is decreased, but not that much. Very so in that, that, in that case, we have a more crop yield and almost the same uh, timber yield. And, you know, and, and that's a very traditional management of trees. Formerly in Europe, in France, you had a lot of polardy trees on the farms. Uh, pollard in, uh, ash trees, mulberry trees, uh, a, a, a lot of in the mountains where I'm coming from, in the Alp mountains, all the trees in the mountains are mostly ash trees and they were pollarded for fodder for the animals and that, that's a very traditional way and it seems to be one of the best management practice that you, you could do with trees the only problem is that it takes a lot of labor to do that. And today it's not really uh, uh, appreciated because of that. It's a lot of work. Well, this is a very, this is a kind of parenthesis, but maybe the droughts that we're seeing um, and the impact on pasture would suddenly make it valuable 
and worth it to go in and to pull our trees in order to feed yeah. uh, to feed uh, and to reduce uh, uh, costs of, of, of feed because what we're seeing is that when there's a drought in a region well everybody wants to go buy some needs to buy some uh, yeah. some hay and the prices of hay explode uh, this is what we've seen this summer so it's it could also be suddenly become more and more interesting but uh, it, it happens yeah. every time we have a summer heat and uh, farmers breeders are short of of uh, forage and they cut again trees that's that's exactly the, the point yeah my, my question was what is the impact because my understanding was that a pollard tree will quickly create a hollow center uh-huh. and so you know when you're looking at a, a pollarding a tree over 30 years maybe more mm-hmm. what are you expecting uh, is going to be the impact on the quality of the of the trunk for timber yeah i i don't i don't think we can extrapolate uh, from one tree species to another one mm. and also i think pollarding is valuable when you have fast growing trees where we have uh, trees that grow well that with good soil and uh, not too if the tree is growing very slowly, it will not recover fast, and you may have those problems of hollow trunks and so on. Now, um, here we have not been, not, not, we did not notice any any health problem with the pollarded trees so far. So that's that's good, a good point. Very interesting. You know, we've discussed many of these things now around the interactions and the competition and the value of the trees, etc. What's the difference that you've seen with the poplars that you told me you harvested after 13 to 14 years mm-hmm. as compared to walnuts, which you're expecting to harvest after 35 to 40 years approximately? Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong. That's why. Do, do the rules that you kind of defined, not the rules, but kind of the, 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 the principles that, you, that, are, that are emerging here about alley cropping, does it apply the same to very fast-growing trees like a poplar as compared to a walnut? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I told you about this ratio of height of the tree to the distance between the tree rows, it seems to be a universal ratio. You, you, you should not allow the trees to grow higher than the distance between the tree rows. As soon as they are higher than the distance between the tree rows, the crop yield is really dro- dropping. So I think that indicator is quite valuable. Uh, if you want to keep uh, a, a, a normal yield of the crop, uh, keep that ratio about somewhere around 0.5. So it means that with poplars that are very tall trees, poplars could be, well, here they were 30 meters tall when we cut them, you need tree rows to be at least 30 meters apart. When you have a smaller tree, here we have a lot of service tree, uh, which is Sorbus domestica. It's a very, very interesting tree with a high quality timber and producing fruits also that are valuable for doing uh, drinks, schnapps, and so on. Uh, when you grow a service tree, it's a smaller tree. It's a tree that will be maybe 10 meters tall at, at the most. And so you can put the tree lines closer. So it really depends on the, of the, of the shape, of the size of the tree, of the major tree that you expect. So I think that rule is quite universal and you can apply it any place. Very interesting. I want to talk a bit about the farmer that you're working with here. Mm-hmm. Because the farmer has needs of, he needs to plant his grain every year, he needs to do it at a specific time, um, take advantage of opportunities in terms of climate, of windows of opportunities um, based on the humidity on the soil, etc. And this may collide, or, or what I wanted to ask actually before I, I, I put words in your mouth is, you know, what is his, how does he interact with the agroforestry system? Does the agroforestry system limit his work as a row crop farmer? And if so, in what way? What's, what's his, you know, what, what, what are some of the feedback that has come back from this farmer's experience with, mm-hmm. with, with agroforestry? Looking in a practical sense. Yeah, okay. Well, um, it's an history now, you know, almost 30 years and three different farmers. Because one died and was replaced. The other one took, went um, uh, on uh, la retraite, um, he retired, and we have a new one. So, you know, it's uh, the trees have a long life expectancy 
longer than the farmers that are growing the system. So it, you have to take that into account. Well, <clears throat> here it's a quite a sp special place because it's an experiment. It's an experiment and you have, farm you have um, a scientist working on the place and uh, there we have al always fancy ideas, uh, fancy ideas that uh, could be a problem for the farmer. So uh, I must say that sometimes working with a commercial farmer was not that easy. I give you an example. One year we had an experiment with walnut, with germ um, wheat and we measured better yields in some places of the of the of the of the plot and we had no explanations and that was very strange. And after discussing and discussing with the farmer, he finally told us, "Oh yes, when I did the seeding, I was short of seeds, so I took another variety and I finished the plot with another variety, and that was not expected. So we were trying to explain that, but okay. the explanation was just that he was short of seeds, and he never mentioned that before. So that's the kind of problem that you have when you work with commercial farms, uh, because here it's a commercial farm, even if it's an experiment. So. Uh, on the other side, well, I would say that the farmers sometimes complain because you have branches that fall down, you have some problems like that. But I would say that in 30 years there has been not a single accident, really a meaning accident. Almost no trees were hurt by the tractors, for example. At the beginning we, we thought that tre trees would be hurt and destroyed, some would be destroyed and so on, but it never happened. So we don't have wounds of the trees caused by the tractors. And so that's it. Uh, they, they, they work quite normally. We don't uh, ask them to change their habits for that. The two first farmers were conventional, they were not organic farmers. The new one is an organic farmer. So they do their job as they usually do. We, we thought that putting trees in the system is already is, is a, a, has a big impact on the system and on the farmer, so we don't ask him more. We ask him just to grow the same crop in the control agriculture and in the agroforestry plot. That's all that we ask. Okay, very interesting. So we can exp so basically it, it doesn't require a big change in the farmer's uh, uh, practices just to have some tree lines spaced out every 13 meters and even Yeah, every 13 meters it's quite narrow so it made some concern but if it was 24 or 30 meters that would be really easy. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a question at you here that was not part of what I had planned to necessarily talk about, but I think is important to mention. Here we're talking about timber species, yeah. and you know what are your take? What's your take on working with 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 fruit or especially not necessarily fruit, but more nut species, walnuts that are harvest that are, that are producing walnuts for for the nuts, and it could be there could be a variety and a plethora of different uh, tree crops used in this sense mm -hmm. that are semi horticulturally intensive. What's your take on this? Is this something that you think could work in alley cropping, or it's just too complex? Oh no, it works. It works perfectly. We don't have uh, fruit trees except those apple trees here, but on this farm because it's not local production fruits here in the area at the moment, but we have a lot of other experiments with fruit trees, including olive trees uh, or different uh, uh, tree fruits. Um, and it works, of course. Uh, alley cropping with fruit trees is perfectly viable. It's, it, it, it does work. And in we there are a lot of experiments on fruit trees in alley cropping and in agroforestry in the Rhone River Valley, not far from here. Uh, it's not me, it's not Inrai that's uh, doing the research, but it does work. And we are considering replacing the poplars that we harvested, and since then there are no trees back. We are considering to put fruit trees now at that place. So that's it. Here, fruit trees, these, those apple trees are understory trees under the story of the big walnut trees but they could be also the upper story for an annual crop in between so all the the possibilities are 
are interesting. And mosquitoes are eating us. Yes, a bit. I've got now. I've, I've bitten so much that I've you lost know, sensitivity. You know, mos use mosquitoes. I can tell something you about the mosquitoes here. If um, there were no trees here, there would be many more mosquitoes, because uh, those trees they are very favorable to bats. Mm. And we have five different bat species here in this farm including some quite uncommon bats that are protected. And bats need echolocation. They need something to give, give their uh, radar, their echo back to fly at night. And trees are very important for bats. If you have an open field with no trees, bats will never go there. When you have trees like that, they come back. And when they come back, they eat mosquitoes. They eat a lot of insects that are that could be damageable, that could be a problem for the crops. And uh, we are uh, surveying the bats with uh, radar devices, you know, just... And it's very funny to see that they do the, all the alleys one after the other uh, at night. So I think that's an important aspect that we also study here. It's the impact of those agroforestry systems on uh, a, a lot of different animals uh, that are really uh, favored by the, the presence of the trees. And that's so, for example, here we have a vineyard agroforestry on the, on the northern part of the, of, the, of the farm. And in vineyards, you have a very um, dam damageable uh, disease uh, that's um, uh, the name of it. Uh, uh, just I, 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 sorry. Botiritis. No, 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 no. It's Mildew. Uh, no, no. Those yes. are folia. Those ah. are not not a problem. But it's um, I'm just try to find the name again. Uh, Flavescence dorée in French. I, I, we need to translate it later. <laughs> but, but when you have some plants of vineyards with that uh, disease, it's compulsory by law to destroy all your vineyard because it's a very, very damaging uh, disease. This disease is transmitted by small insects uh, that are called in French cicadelles. And those insects are eaten by bats. Mm. So bats regulate the population of cicadel and that prevents the disease to be uh, disseminated further. So that's very important to have uh, more complex trophic chains uh, that control the explosion of some animals and trees help in that aspect. Definitely. And so are you seeing other, beyond bats, are you seeing some noticeable benefits um, in terms of biodiversity and especially functional biodiversity? Well, um, it's, it's very difficult to uh, extrapolate. For example, here we have been working a lot of aphids, wheat aphids. Wheat aphids are, um, could be really damaging for the crops. And they are controlled by the um, coccinelle. Hmm. By ladybugs. Ladybugs. They are controlled by surf, another, another surface. They are controlled by, uh, well, a number of other animals that are insects that I don't know in English. But So we have been surveying aphids and their predators in those plots and the conclusion that it was not efficient. There was not more predators of aphids in the agroforestry plot than in the controlled agricultural plot. So you see, it's not always just uh, the conclusion that you expect. Uh, on aphids, it was not conclusive. On other, uh, it could be uh, we have more beetles, we have more uh, earthworms, we have more an, a number of other, other animals. Uh, we could have also more um, rabbits <laughs> and we could have more birds and so and so. So it's a complex uh, system uh, and the conclusions are not always uh, straightforward. It, if it was so easy, uh, we, wish, we should know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'd love to know some of the um, some of the core, like the not the core, sorry, some of the 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 main mistakes that you've made 
again, we're talking to, to, to farmers here that you've made at, at this site through your experimentation some of the things that nowadays with your colleagues you laugh about and you think that it's worth to, to, to discuss with, uh, with us and to tell potential agroforestry uh, practitioners. Well, we planted some funny tree species that never grow. So that was, of, of course, a mistake. Uh, but it's always difficult to say that it would be all. It would be not recommendable because probably some of them did not grow for a specific reason of that year. And if we had planted that two years later, it would be very different. I give you an example. Uh, when we put that experiment, uh, we planted some palm trees. Those palm trees were for uh, ornamental use, you know, for in gardens, in cities. But they are very slow-growing palm trees, uh, like the uh, Chilean palm tree that's beautiful that we have in Montpellier. Uh, but it's not really produced by the nurseries because it takes 30 years, 40 years to get a, a, a valuable one. So I said, okay, in agroforestry we have time. We can plant palm trees and we will harvest them in 40 years for ornamental. So we planted palm trees and they were all uh, stolen by people. Ah, oh, wow. That's it. Uh, if, you, if your trees are too valuable and you have a lot of people ru <laughs> running around the place, it's difficult to protect them. So it's a different story. It doesn't mean that palm trees were not a wrong idea, but uh, in that case, it was not a success. So I said, well, we tried some fancy trees. We have some problem. We even planted Sequoia dandron giganteum, the, the biggest tree on the planet. And there are only two still living <laughs> here. So uh, be besides that, I don't see too too many mistakes per se. Uh, I would say uh, no. That at the beginning we, for example, we grew um, canola. What's the name of canola? I don't know the name. Mm, uh, do I. Um, anyway, uh, and it was not a very a big success because the seeds are very very small. So when the seeds uh, germinate. Uh, the seedling is very tiny and it needs light, a lot of light to survive. And in the shade, it's not easy. Okay. So uh, when you and you when you see that it's at the end of August, beginning of September, the tree has their leaves on, so the shade is heavy, and uh, that germination was not easy. Interesting. Yeah, but these are these are design considerations rather than necessarily mistakes, right? In terms of well, they've become designed uh, yeah. considerations that, you know, things need to be slightly adapted to uh, this new setting. Mm. And, you know, when we're talking about adaptation. Um, do, you, do you think that these alley cropping systems are adapted to, to, to all farms or all types of farms? Looking at, of course, row crops and, and all conditions. Are there, are there certain, like, minimum requirements that are necessary for, for this to, to work, maybe in terms of soil depth, but also maybe in terms of farmers' abilities, looking a bit beyond just the, mm -hmm. the, the, mm -hmm. the physical factors here. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk first about the physical factors. Um, to do agroforestry, you need trees that grow fast because uh, you, 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 you can't wait for 200 years to, ha to have significant trees. So uh, there was a common mistake at the beginning with farmers. It's when you told to farmers about agroforestry, they just think, oh, okay, I will put trees in the back farm there where the soils are very poor and I can't grow much there. So they put the trees there and the tree never grow. And uh, that was a, a, a common mistake. And it's still a common mistake to think about agroforestry and to to say, okay, I will locate the agroforestry plot on my very poor soils where the trees will not grow. And if they don't grow, there is no agroforestry. So my advice is really to put agroforestry plots in the high quality or good quality soils where you have enough water in uh, water reserve in the soil for the trees to grow. 
a tree will never grow if you have only 20 centimeters of soil it's not uh, or it will grow very very slowly and it's not uh, encouraging for people just to do that if your tree after 20 years is one meter tall well you you do something else so um so uh, that that that's probably a common mistake that ha needs to be avoided and that people do and do again uh, to think about trees about the very poorest places on their farm it's not a good idea and sometimes you can't do agroforestry because the soil is too superficial or is too um, too dry you can do a summer crop but you can't do a tree a tree should live during the summer and if during the summer there is uh, we are you are below the wilting point into in the in the whole soil the tree will die that's it so that's that's the main constraint i would say physical constraint regarding uh, human aspects of management of agroforestry um, yeah you need to be interested in trees you need to be interested in doing something different uh, some farmers do that because they say oh I like uh, the, the the landscape I want to change my landscape uh, probably we made a mistake here in the south of France we have a lot of trees already we have a lot of abandoned land that has regrown to forests so we have a lot of trees and putting more trees is not an essential but when you are in big plains with not a single tree for hundreds of kilometers that we have in France or in the in the center of France putting a tree is something much more powerful uh, than here where we have already a lot of trees just uh, the same idea for vineyards uh, vineyard agroforestry in the plain here near Béziers you have vineyards for hundreds of kilometers and nothing else so when you put a tree there it has an impact here we have a lot of trees already so it has less impact so I would say in places where in open field areas uh, agroforestry is, has really an impact and the complexity or the let's say the the knowledge required by the farmer the new knowledge that needs to be acquired to manage such a system mm -hmm. especially with timber crops if he's well advised at the start he or she is well advised at the start it won't make we're not talking about crazy knowledge like trying to suddenly manage uh, uh, an apple orchard which yeah would be more no. I would say it's not that difficult um, of course uh, foresters and uh, advisors in forestry say oh yeah, it's difficult you need to to help people to do that of course you need to learn but it's not beyond the the <coughs> the knowledge of any any average uh, farmer uh, yeah pruning a tree is something that you learn but you learn that in two days and that's it uh, so it's not so that complicated i would not say that's complicated but you need to be interested in the trees that's that's the big point here for example the trees belong to, to the landowner not to the farmer mm. the landowner is taking care of the trees not the farmer sometimes it's the farmer when he is the, the landowner so you have the two different possibilities the farmer could be only growing the crop or could be also the landowner and then the tree owner and does that setup work well does that does it is it a setup that creates some tension or is it quite quite smooth so far here it's the case we have a landowner and we have a farmer and it works well um, of course when you are the the owner of the two <laughs> you do the compromise by yourself you just say okay I will cut some trees because I have too much shade or I will uh, and so and so or you will you know when to prune the trees not to destroy the crop so you do that at the right time and so and so but I think the two options are valid are, are, are working well there's there are people in the agroforestry space um, that prefer to plant trees of course they they believe in planting trees on farms 
more trees on farms especially in these areas where there's a lack of trees as mm -hmm. you've just described but they believe in, in in kind of separating things more creating not such not putting trees everywhere on the matrix of the landscape but but kind of se separating things and planting them in areas where, where they're more concentrated mm -hmm. where they will not create so much risk mm -hmm. so much risk what i mean is for example if it's a really good year for soy or for or for or for corn summer crops mm -hmm. very good prices the farmer in an agroforestry system a mature one will not have that option anymore and will have to stick to winter grains and so that kind of flexibility can be reduced just as an example of some mm -hmm. of the constraints that can come about mm -hmm. what do you what's what's your take on this on no. if you have a, a, the right number of trees per hectare which is something around 50 trees per hectare not the hundred trees that we have there you can grow anything you can change your rotation you can change your crop every year there is not much concern about that if uh, so i would not say that's that's really a problem of flexibility um, it's only a problem if you have too many trees too many too much shade and in that case you can't grow summer crops for example or uh, and that's it so I would say it's a design problem and uh, you don't need to have too many trees on the, on the place. Or if, if there are big trees, if there are small trees, you can have many more, of course. No, that's not really a problem. Very interesting. So one of the things that we're noticing in, in, in the agroforestry space is that it's not growing as fast as we'd like it to. All right, so this is common knowledge yeah. and um, we all agree to it. And so, you know, you've been here in this space for 30 years now, have one of the most, the oldest, and, and you've been part of the one of the oldest agroforestry exper experiments that we have, um, maybe in the world even. Um, and so you have quite a lot of visibility here on this. So maybe you could help us to understand <laughs> why are we not seeing agroforestry systems, and let, let's focus on alley cropping here, um, um, why are we not seeing it be used so much by farmers if it, if it makes so much sense? Mm. Uh, it makes sense on the, on the long term. It doesn't make much sense in the very short term, I mean in 10 years in, or 20 years for slow-growing slow trees. So uh, the benefits will be put for the next generation and not so many farmers are able to invest for the next generation. That's the big problem. If you invest for yourself, you better invest in something that gives you a, a, a return the next year or the two years after or three years after. Here, if you plant wal these walnut trees, uh, they will be harvested at the age of 40, 40, maybe 50. It's for the next generation. So the idea is that uh, uh, those systems will be uh, viable and reproduced when they reach their maturity. When you earn the money by selling the trees or by harvesting the fruit of the trees, you can invest to replace them. And that's what happened for the traditional agroforestry system in France. Who were the first farmers in France who were able to buy a tractor? They were agroforestry farmers. They, were, they needed to sell 100 walnut trees and they could buy a tractor. So those walnut trees, they were the bank of the farm at the time. And uh, those systems are still into operation in the, in the Isère Valley near Grenoble. Uh, you have a lot of farmers who have a lot of walnut trees and when they harvest the trees, they replant the trees and so on. So what's difficult with agroforestry is to initiate the process, to change the farm system. And it takes time and you don't have returns in the next years. It takes the time for the trees to grow, for the trees to have an impact. Uh, you know, when you have a tree that is maybe four, four meters tall, it's already a tree. This, the impact of that tree on the soil, on the biological cycle is almost negligible. When the tree is uh, um, 10 meters tall, it's changed a lot. From one year to the next year, the increase is huge. Now we have a return of biomass by the tree leaves, by the root decay that is extremely high. 
but during the first 20 years it was almost nothing. So uh, the impact of the tree is just uh, negligible during the first years and it increases on a parabolic shape. So that's the problem with trees. They grow slowly, they increase slowly and their impact is just coming years and years after. So that, that's the main problem I would say uh, because we have demonstrated that the crop yield could be maintained. Uh, of course you lose the tree row which could be one or two meters every 30 meters but that's not the main reason. We, you still have the, 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 the crop yield. So I would say farmers have better profit with other investment than trees. If, yeah, if, if, if they put their money in improving the machinery, improving the process, selling uh, in a more efficient way, it's more profitable for them than planting trees. So that's the big problem. And does this also apply to fast-growing trees? I mean, I've recently been to north of Spain mm -hmm. where they are planting poplars. They mm -hmm. have been traditionally planting poplars, but now they're planting even more mm -hmm. that are harvested after 12 years mm -hmm. and that are sold at, I mean, the average is 120 to 150 a tree, but they've been selling them this year at 250 sometimes, depending on uh, ah. different factors. And so if you, and so I did the maths on this and it generates a, an internal rate of return of about 15 to 16 percent which which suddenly what you know it's suddenly that is an interesting investment to put your money in yeah you know we are so, all expecting the price of wood to increase for the last 30 years up to now it was not the case so that's the big problem for example here we have 100 wall trees per hectare we always said, okay, you could sell those trees about 1,000 euros a tree. Which means if you have 100 trees per hectare, it's 100,000 euros per hectare. That's huge. That's really huge. With one hectare of agroforestry, one hectare of agroforestry, you have 100,000 euros. That's attractive. Of, that's attractive. But uh, is that realistic? We still don't know. Uh, the, 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 the timber uh, price is not increasing as fast as we expected because it's a renewable product. You, you, it should be uh, increasing in the midterm, but so far it's not. So if in 10 years the price of timber has increased, that will be the jackpot for the farmers, agroforestry farmers. If it doesn't, that's the problem. We can't assure that. But that price for this timber is very special for few tree species. Walnut trees, Sorbus domestica trees, Pronosavium trees, trees with very high value timber. For most of the other trees, the prices are much lower. Uh, poplar is, uh, is just 30 euros per cubic meter of wood, something like that at the moment. So, uh, what could change the life of agroforesters is the increase in the price of wood. Who knows what will happen. Normally, with the decrease of the production of oil and oil-derived products and plastics and so on, wood should be increasing in relative value in the future. So, my opinion is that the future of agroforestry is bright. You will have a lot of value in your trees but we hope that for the last 30 years and that did not really happen so far let's see what's happening in the future fantastic i think that uh, it's a it's a good place to 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 stop our conversation here or to stop uh, me relentlessly asking you questions is what <laughs> i mean um and you know i've i was very much inspired by a book that you wrote with a colleague of yours um, um fabien liagre yes and uh called Agroforestry, is yep. that the name of the? And then there's a. Um, when is it going to be available in English? Uh, it's translated. Uh, okay. It has been translated by Gary Rosen, uh, but it's not commercialized. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but we should do that. Yeah, yeah. We should. Or we should uh, update the book because uh, we wrote that book 
12 years ago now, or more than that. It should be updated, but uh, we will do. But I'm, well, at the moment, I'm working on something similar to agroforestry, which is uh, agrivoltaism. So you press the trees with photovoltaic panels, and it's also a very efficient system. Mm, and I'm writing a book on agrivoltaism at the moment. So, so it, that could be also an option. But in agrivoltaism, the, the, the revenue from the panels is much higher than the re revenue by by trees so it makes the system very attractive <laughs> okay very interesting well i'm sure that many of our listeners would love to have uh, an updated and english version of uh, uh, of the book when uh, when you uh, when you feel like it's the time it may be uh, an interesting uh, when the price of the wood rises yeah yeah <laughs> then it'll be it'll be time <laughs> <laughs> well, well if the price of the wood rises uh, i think people who, who took the 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 chance to do that will be happy yeah for I, sure that's my hope for the future for sure thank you so much for uh, taking the time to to speak with it us today pleasure. it was a pleasure to welcome you here because i i, I spent almost all my life here so <laughs> so it's uh, always a pleasure to to meet people there